Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. As an individual, do you really exist? What is non-locality? What does consciousness have to say to science and to the paranormal? Hey there, and welcome to the 525th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And I am Ben, and those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we welcome one of the most distinguished guests to ever grace the airwaves, either on Behind the Paranormal or Owen 1240 Radio, if we do dare say so. And we do <laughs> welcome your calls this evening. It's uh, the numbers tonight, 401-766-1240, and anywhere from the U.S. or Canada, 800-449-1240. Dr. Amit Gaswami, now retired, was professor of physics at the University of Oregon's Institute of Theoretical Science for over 30 years, beginning in 1968. One of the world's most renowned physicists, Dr. Goswami, is a, is a revolutionary in the growing body of renegade scientists who in recent years have ventured into the domain of the spiritual in an attempt to both interpret the seemingly inexplicable findings of their experiments and to validate their own intuitions about the existence of a spiritual dimension of life. Essentially, he espouses the position that consciousness creates the material world that we see. A prolific writer, teacher, and visionary, Dr. Goswami, has appeared in the movies What the Bleak Do We Know, The Dalai Lama Renaissance, and the award-winning documentary The Quantum Activist. He is the author or co-author of at least ten books that I know of, including The Quantum Doctor, God is Not Dead, The Physics of the Soul, and two that have been major influences on my thinking, The Self-Aware Universe and The Visionary Window, A Quantum Physicist's Guide to Enlightenment. His latest, Quantum Creativity, is to be released, at, I believe, at the end of this week. His website is www.amitgaswami.org. That's A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I dot org. So, Dr. Amit Gaswami, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. No, it's great to have you. So let's uh, start off this evening by um, saying that your new book is coming out. So let's start at the very beginning for uh, those guests who have... Uh, who don't have doctorates, and uh, who don't know anything about you. So what does quantum mean? Well, quantum, the word, originally uh, came from a Latin word, which means quantity. So that doesn't give you much thrill, does it? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but very quickly, it, it became a very different thing. Um, what happened was that we discovered that all objects are um, these dual objects. They're both uh, wave and particle. How to interpret these waves? I mean, can something spread out as waves and be also localized particle in the same uh, domain of space-time? Uh, so when the mathematics was discovered, we found something very, very strange and very spiritual and very paranormal because from the time of Newton and uh, with the majority of scientists today, the belief is that we live in one domain of reality. There is only the space and time. But quantum physics gave us a completely different message. Quantum physics says that these waves of uh, possibility, as they are called now, because they are just that, the waves don't reside in space-time. They can't. Instead, they reside in a domain of potentiality. And the, only the manifest particles, when waves change into particles because we observe them, then only these particles can be said to, be, to belong to the space-time domain. So you are forced into a two-domain of reality 
uh, theory, which of course is the basis of all spiritual traditions. In other words, what used to be called supernormal and and still uh, is called uh, supernormal. I, I, I noticed that you have a similar name for your show. Um, it's no longer behind reality. It, it, it is reality. Exactly. Reality is that yes. there are two domains. One is for potentiality. One is for actuality. Wow. You, well, you essentially answered the next question. So let's um, move on to delve a little deeper, so to speak. So how does it all come down to consciousness? So how it comes down to consciousness is that when you ask the question, okay, so we have the domain of potentiality, and we have potentiality in this domain, possibility wave. So what converts them into uh, the particles, into the uh, actual events of experience? We get a very, very, very starting answer that nobody expected. Because, uh, you know, the materialist uh, view that everything is matter has gone to our um, culture so much so. Um, but what happened is uh, a little bit of a uh, surprise. When we ask that question, we find that material interactions, this is a mathematical theorem, material interactions just, just cannot convert waves of possibility into particles of actuality. So what does it? Uh, the mathematician John von Neumann first suggested that, well, it's, it's consciousness that does it. But then uh, the ideas of consciousness that was prevalent at that time uh, that suggested is consciousness separate from matter, uh, a philosophy that is called dualism. But then you get bogged down into questions like how does a dual consciousness, non-material consciousness, interact with material objects? Without a signal, they can't. And, of course, uh, signals carry energy, but the energy of the physical world itself is always a constant. So scientists have said that, well, dualism is not tenable with science. Answer came when I wrote a paper in 1989, uh, and the staff wrote a book in 1993. I also wrote a book in 1993. Casey Blood also pointed out similar things. And the answer is startling. Consciousness and not matter is the ground of being. These waves of possibility are part of consciousness itself. So when consciousness does the conversion of possibility into actuality by choosing among the possible facets, the one particular facet that becomes actuality, it is conscious choice that's, that's converting it. So consciousness exists, and it plays a very vital role in creating the world. In fact, otherwise the world is just world in possibility. It is consciousness that converts the possibilities into actuality and makes our actual experience. How do you like that? <laughs> wow. That was only five minutes, and I've learned more in that five minutes than I have in my entire life. Doctor, <laughs> you're perfect for radio. Go ahead, Ben. Well, next question. Yeah. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna delve into non-locality now. If that as if that wasn't enough to uh, throw onto everybody's plates. So, what do you mean by um, or what do we mean, I should say, by non-locality? You, you ask wonderful questions and you get wonderful answers. And <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. See, some believers still were not convinced, but this argument really is the stopper because. The point is that when we ask that this, uh, what distinguishes really this domain of potentiality from the domain of actuality, what makes us think that there is a separate domain anyway? Is there a 
distinguishing mark that we can test experimentally? And the answer is yes. The domain of potentiality is a domain in which there can be communication without exchanging signal. This is where the, that, uh, that criticism of dualism disappears because this domain is all interconnected. It is all the same thing, namely consciousness and possibilities of consciousness. There is no division anywhere. There is no separateness anywhere. In this domain, there is no signal needed because everything is the same. Everything is one. And then we get the actuality domain where, of course, things require signals to communicate. What's the difference? We call the domain of actuality, space-time domain, the local domain, where we need signals which travel a little bit at a time. In other words, they're local signals. They travel to the locality in a local way. Whereas in the other domain, domain of potentiality, where consciousness is one and only, there is no signals. It's all consciousness. That is the domain we say is non-local, or the concept of non-locality is introduced. So what is non-locality? Non-locality is signal-less communication. And the best part of it is this, that we, since 1982, experimentally have verified that indeed such non-local communication exists. Mm. And in 1993 uh, a group in uh, Mexico, University of Mexico, and subsequently by some 2,000 experiments have verified that, yes, we have such non-local communications between human brains, and that can be verified by instruments, material instruments, not, not just human mind, but material instruments. So we okay. really have proof, experimental proof, and a very good theory to suggest that there are really indeed uh, is non-locality. Is, there is indeed a domain of potentiality. There is indeed such non-local communication going on between objects and also between brains. So what we're saying is essentially in the whole uncertainty principle argument and in what you've just said, Doctor, we're essentially looking at the Enlightenment of the, 19th, the 18th century having taken humankind out of the center of the universe and quantum physics has essentially put us back in the center again? Is that... I, I have to say that yes, you are right, because the, look at the, what it means to say there is only consciousness in this domain of potentiality and it's, it's all connected. That means that the whole universe is also contained in this consciousness. Consciousness is the ground of all being, including stars, galaxies, universes, mm -hmm. mind, what have you. Everything is contained in consciousness and its possibilities. Nothing is excluded. So two things happen. First of all, what you just said. It's, it's definitely all-encompassing. But second of all, we can now really devise a science of not only material experience, but all of our experiences. Where, do, where does mind come from? Mind comes from same consciousness. It exists as possibilities of consciousness. Where does our intuition come from? Same place, consciousness. Mm -hmm. As uh, you know, we as possibilities exist in that non-local domain, as actuality, we experience them as intuition. So in this way, we just now have a very versatile science. We had a very exclusive science, everything is matter kind of science, which excluded, basically it excluded the human being, because we are thinking beings, we are feeling beings, we are intuiting beings. Yes, we also have sensory experiences, and they sure dominate some of our behavior, but basically we are more of thinking, feeling, intuiting kind of being, you know. 
And so the current developments of uh, science in the material direction has left a lot of us very unhappy, very unfulfilled with mm-hmm. this kind of incomplete science. But now we finally understanding how to complete this science and have a re- science of all of our experiences. Well, th- this is what I've always found one of your most salient thoughts, and as I've said, you were a major influence on my thinking. I started out in the seminary many, many years ago, and uh, that's when I started researching the paranormal. It's a long story. Most of our listeners know the story. But when I, inc- I just could not understand what I was seeing. Uh, the, the old ideas about this, the spiritualist approach just didn't do it. They, they weren't good enough. One thing that really made me think was your idea that the sense of self is really an illusion. Actually, it's a sense of self-reference. Can you talk about that? Yeah, because this is this is the other very revolutionary concept that quantum physics is giving us. The uh, sense of self that we have, the ego, um, obviously is something uh, more to desire for because it, it, it's it's very clear when you watch what the ego does. It, it's pretty much limited. It is limited to our past. It's limited to our conditioning. That's what the ego is about. So. You cannot get too excited about it. Okay, it gives some sense of I. It certainly is choice is uh, existent because we have, uh, when we have a multiple uh, condition alternative to choose from, indeed ego chooses. All that sounds, you know, and, and, and that too is, is, is very important, of course. You know, if you had a tyrannical father who wants to always, uh, wants you to eat uh, only uh, chocolate ice cream and no vanilla, that is not a very happy situation for a child. So, but that kind of freedom to which ego is limited is, is nothing compared to the real McCoy, which is, of course, the consciousness in its non-local capacity. So if we recognize it, that there is the self of what we get in this space-time reality, including a higher self, which uh, people variously call the Holy Spirit, or in the modern uh, quantum theory we call it the quantum self, even that is nothing but a representation of consciousness. Brain has a special uh, apparatus within it. We call it a tangle hierarchy, which mm-hmm. capacitates the brain to make a representation of consciousness uh, that we can't call a self. But this self is really an appearance. It's not, it's not real. The real thing is consciousness. And choice exists only in consciousness. So we, when we understand these things, um, then, of course, uh, we don't take the ego so seriously anymore, and and that is good for the human being. Today, too many people take their ego too seriously. Oh, yes. Well, in the sense of the paranormal, and I'm talking my own experience in the late 1970s, early 1980s, I was realizing that, realizing that in, in or, having considered your thought and those of others, in order to believe in the old ideas about, say, ghosts, or spirits of the dead, you have to believe in the island theory of the human being, that people are self, totally self-contained islands, and yeah. when the body dies, the material, that, that then somehow this thing, this soul, whatever, is released, and it's still an island, it still has all the uh, ultra-personal experiences and memories and this sort of thing. And, that and just, somehow it, wears clothes. Yeah, glorious <laughs> clothes, drives cars. I mean, you, when you research this stuff, you wouldn't believe some of the things you experience. And it just and your thought, as I say, among those of others, uh, really just put put the lie to that. And as you say in um, the self-aware universe, the paranormal is one of the greatest arguments for non-locality. Absolutely. 
So, so and it remains one of the greatest arguments. And as, as I was saying, you know, these experiments at the University of Mexico, what it shows is that we can now verify with material instruments mm-hmm. uh, that uh, brain-to-brain information transfer is possible. So, um, you know, two people meditate together. One person is shown some uh, light flashes, electrical activity from his or her brain uh, is transferred to a second brain. And by virtue of what? By virtue of the fact that they were meditating with the intention that they will have such a non-local transfer of information. How do we know that it was non-local without any signal? Because they're sitting in electromagnetically impervious chambers. Mm -hmm. There's no way that electromagnetic anything can get from one subject to the other. And yet, brainwave measurement, individual EEG machines measure the electrical activity in one brain, the one that has seen the light flashes, and that simultaneously electrical activity appears in the other brain, which is very similar to the activity that you find in the first brain, leaving no doubt that we are seeing electrical activity transferred from one brain to another without any electromagnetic connection. So this kind of experiment just just throws you off balance if you are a scientific materialist, if you believe matter is everything and paranormal is Mm -hmm. ho-hum. So what I mean is is that revolution is taking place in our science. Well, that, that, that's a good thing to hear because uh, it seems as though it does have a long way to go because scientific materialism, my theory perhaps is a, is a little bit cynical, and the scientists I know, several of them anyway, are spent a very great deal of money to earn their doctorates, and in order to do that, they had to study scientific materialist ideas and things from that point of view, and it is very political. Perhaps, having been a professor yourself, perhaps you notice some of this. You really do have to toe the line if you want to get a good mark. You know. Yeah, you do. I, I, I remember the days when uh, somehow my physics department was kind of liberal, or, or maybe they were just kind to me. So they created a course which I was um, teaching called Physicist's View of Nature. But there was one unofficial rule, and I usually followed it. And students, every time I used the, uh, you followed, followed that rule, students would get a kick out of it, <laughs> which is that, God, the word God was forbidden in academia, and, and, and nobody told me this, but I knew it implicitly. So I always said, okay, now I am invoking the G word. <laughs> and, and, and students also used to get a kick out of it, that I cannot say God in the classroom. Oh. I mean, what, what an idea. I mean, that, that's marvelous. Let me throw the book at you in a sense, my last book, um, and... I don't flatter myself that you've read anything I've written, but uh, perhaps you'd be intrigued by this case. I've, I've mentioned it several times, and the other listeners are familiar, but I think it illustrates why I think the way I do and the influence your thinking had, had on me. This was in 1979, and I was, uh, had been uh, asked to leave the seminary because of my paranormal work. They were very uncomfortable with that, and I only had about a year before ordination, but I suppose the church and I both had a lucky escape. But in any case, I was living by a little... Lake in Connecticut, and the phone rang, and it was a young girl from the University of Connecticut. And to make a long story short, she and her friends had been in Maine the previous week and had had this experience. The younger sister of the girl had been well known as a person interested in the occult and reincarnation and all sorts of things of that kind. They had uh, come around a corner and seen a very rather nondescript ranch style house. 
the girl said, said, stop, that's my house, jumped out, ran up to the house, pounded on the door before they could stop her. Everyone ran up, and a, a, a woman answered the door, screamed when she saw the girl. The man in the house was, was taken aback and finally said, um, she apologized to them and said that uh, we, I, I feel as though I know this house. And the man said, you should know this house. You haunt it. So I said, okay. <laughs> Exactly. And so uh, I, they all ran, you know, they, they apologized and left, went back to their car. And I, they, they did manage to get a name and address on the um, mailbox. And as luck would have it, my mother's family had a summer home in this town. And it was on the coast of Maine, lovely place. And I was able to find, uh, excuse me, find out who this was. I wrote him a letter, didn't dare call him. And I, I said, uh, you know, I, I gave him my credentials. I said, these are the priests I've worked with. These are the psychologists I've worked with on the paranormal cases and things of this kind. And he wrote, he called me, actually. And uh, what happened was this. The, the, they had seen this girl, they said, uh, coming down the stairs, looking out the front window, doing this and that in the house in transparent form. The girl, in the meantime, had had dreams of doing precisely those things that they were seeing her doing. And I said, well, obviously, we have, a, I suppose, a quote-unquote ghost case, but this is not some dead person. I mean, what on earth is happening here? And it was about this time that I discovered some of the more popular books about quantum physics that were coming out, and push came to shove. And over the years since, I have come to believe, and Ben tends to agree with me, of course, he's a captive audience at my lectures, that we're dealing with uh, the multiple worlds interpretation of quantum physics in some form. Now, the two schools of thought, as I understand it, uh, would be about the multiple worlds, the multiverse, as it were, that these are potential worlds, and I believe you would espouse that. Am I right? Yes. Okay, and, but uh, to me, at least my experience, and again, not being a scientist, having an education in theology and philosophy, so I know about dualism and monism, but nevertheless, uh, having had uh, in the trenches physical experiences of this kind for over 40 years, um, in my opinion, uneducated as it may be, these these worlds are fully uh, operational, material, whatever, however you fully fulfilled, if you will, and that they seem to interact uh, rather dramatically. And uh, when you approach it that way in paranormal work, and you don't you don't think you're dealing with dead people, and the results are absolutely astounding. And I begged physicists to come with me on some of these things. You were uh, uh, Fred Allen Wolf and yourself are the only ones who have ever come on this show. So, uh, I mean, what say you about all that? I mean, what you know, you're looking at it from one viewpoint. I'm looking at it as, as I believe, having experienced it, and perhaps more than most ever, people we experience it every day, but perhaps in a more dramatic sense. I mean, what say you? Well, uh, the, 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 the point is that first of all, let me go back a little and tell you that there is such a thing as non-local memory. We assume that all of our memory is um, in the brain mm -hmm. and to communicate it, we need local signals. This is just not correct. Quantum physics says that no, some of the memory, especially memories of learning, is non-local. And some of the stuff that we do, they are also can be non-locally preserved in the sense, in the domain of possibility, past, present, future, all exist simultaneously. So. Well, the combination of the two um, and people having access to using this combination in some form or other gives us the uh, privilege of being able to explain a whole bunch of phenomena that uh, hitherto we have just called paranormal, beyond the normal. 
But we are finding that, look, this is, this is also normal. Because Absolutely. quantum physics says that this domain that we call domain of potentiality is not beyond the normal. It is normal. It mm-hmm. is the normal way. In fact, the, the Newtonian description is an approximation. Approximately, sometimes we can ignore this uh, domain of potentiality when we are very conditioned, when we completely ignoring it, we are so fixed in life that, okay, we don't use it, we don't need it. Uh, if you don't use it, you forget it, so that kind of way. But that's the poor way of living. You are losing the essence of life. If you give up the what now is called paranormal or if you give up creativity, if you give up uh, access to all the good stuff, which is human potentials, then what is left? Nothing but just condition day-to-day living in the same rut. Mm-hmm. I call it the gutter way of living. Yes. Uh, so to anybody who have a good mind uh, should recognize that there is nothing uh, paranormal about this. This is the normal existence. What we accept as normal is a pale uh, facsimile of the reality. So um, the judgment from this angle is that it is only the fortunate who sometimes get initiated by, like this man, who saw this apparition-like figure uh, coming around because there was this uh, telepathic communication that was going on between these two people uh, who were correlated by some sort of ways that we don't know about. And uh, that is what's causing this uh, experience and that he got verification uh, when the girl actually knocked at the door and they were astounded that they're seeing this figure for months. Well, now, are... that is very fortunate because for this man, the world forever changed. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, the ironic thing was, and this is a bit of a footnote to that, when they met on that porch, all phenomena then ceased. It never happened again, and one wonders: is, was the wave function collapsed, as you might say? I, I you know, I yeah, know. It's, it's, it's a attractive collapse. It's an, if you ask me, uh, it will be too complicated, probably for, sure. for your audience. Well, the, the other, there are a lot of people stuck in traffic right now. They don't want them any more frustrated than they already are. That's right. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. going to take our break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our marvelous guest, Dr. Amit Goswami. Stay with us. Hi, this is Dave Ghosh, your radio play-by-play voice of the Boston Bruins. Be sure to tune in to Boston Bruins hockey action all season long, only on ON 1240. W-O-O-N, one socket radio. Let's go Bruins. The Boston Bruins are brought to you locally by Simon Chevrolet, Countertops by Superior, The Carew Investment Group, Inferno Audio, The Eston and Richard Agency, Stateline Service, D&S Painting, One Socket Door Sales, Cousins Collision Center, and Ollie's Pizza. It's the Boston Bruins all season long, only on ON 1240, WOON, One Socket Radio. And I wanted to mention several of the charities Ben and I have adopted. You can find them at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And certainly usacares.org, wonderful group that helps American veterans financially when they're in financial issues, have financial issues and various uh, 
Situations of that kind, out goes a check from these great folks. So check that out, usacares.org. Also locally here in Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts, buildershelpingheroes.org, I should say. Uh, Builders Association in Rhode Island is uh, responsible for marvelous things, uh, building and remodeling homes for veterans and the families of those who have, have died in, in uh, combat since the uh, war on terror began. And also Canadian Veterans Advocacy for our brothers to the north who have stood with us uh, in, that, in that very trying time over the last uh, 10, 12 years here. Also, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. We are great fans of theirs. They do wonderful things. And we're going to have the uh, uh, Tony LeRae, the founder of that, that organization, on in a few weeks to discuss indigenous wisdom and how it can be used to help at-risk youth. Kind of an interesting way to do it. Okay, let's get back to our guest, Dr. Amit Goswami, here on Behind the Paranormal. And, Doctor, we were uh, talking about these strange cases and all sorts of odd things that uh, can be explained perhaps by non-locality. And uh, I'm wondering now that um, how, exact, well, how exactly the, the, uh, the material and non-material aspects interact. Now, everybody knows that, well, they should know that, that matter is really just a form of energy. So how would our non-locality, how would our spiritual aspects interact with our physical bodies? Okay, so this is the important question, and this is the, what the audience needs to grasp. It requires a little bit of concentration, okay? So consciousness is the ground of all being. What does it contain? It contains, in an undivided way, its own possibility. Now, think about it. Consciousness. What kind of possibility would we have? There would be possibilities behind all of our experiences. So what kind of experience do we have? Do we only experience matter? No. We sense matter. That's a very important experience. But we also think. What do we think? We think meaning, meaningful stuff. That's the stuff of the mind. So we have that mental world. And then we have feeling. What do we feel? We feel energies, like shivers in the spine, butterflies in the stomach. Very uh, much noticeable is the heart throbs in the heart chakra. So these are the stuff that we feel. Uh, feeling. So there is this vital universe of possibilities, vital energy, vitality. And then uh, there is the intuition. We intuit. What do we intuit? We intuit what Plato called archetype, love, beauty, justice, truth, goodness. These are the stuff which are the most important values of our life. So quantum physics says that consciousness must contain all the possibilities behind all of our experiences. And these are the four types of world then that coexist simultaneously. We've talked about parallel worlds before. These are the parallel worlds of potentiality in consciousness. When consciousness converts possibility of each of this world into actuality, we get an actual experience. It always happens in conjunction with the brain. And therefore the confusion is brain giving rise to consciousness. But then you get paradoxes. The quantum physics says, no, that is not true. It's the opposite. Consciousness creates the brain when it changes possibility into actuality. Mm -hmm. So if you think in this way, then you can incorporate every bit of experience, including the paranormal, including the creative, including the spiritual, and you never have to throw away anything that is the case, that is what you experience. Okay? That is a perfect segue into our next question, which is, what is quantum creativity? Quantum creativity, then, is, besides non-locality, quantum physics has this couple of other very important concepts. Creativity is one of them. 
So let me go back a little. What is creativity? You answer right away that, okay, it's the discovery of a new meaning or invention of something new which has meaning, which has value. That's what we call creativity. But then uh, the curiosity uh, mounts when we inquire what kind of process leads to creativity. And we find very strangely that although creativity seems to be an act, and action is usually um, uh, usually requires us to do, but just doing doesn't do it. Doing just doesn't cut it. It does not make you creative. You can do, do, do all your life and you will never be creative. What makes creative people creative is that they have the ability, not just doing, but also to relax in between. So they do a lot. They are are very experts in focusing. If you have met any creative person, you will be astounded by their focusing ability. But what is even more astounding is they're also very relaxed people. They're just not focusing all the time. They focus on their questions, and then they just relax. This idea of do and be, which I call a do-be-do-be-do lifestyle, following (laughs) that song, Sinatra Jingle, is very appropriate to describe the creative people. But who can explain why just this lazying around, relaxing, is important for creativity? Finally, quantum physics, after some 75 years of struggle, quantum physics gave us the answer. The reason that we need to relax is because in between thoughts, we go into this other domain, domain of potential, domain of potentiality. And we are unconscious then, so we don't consciously remember that we went. We are inseparate from our possibilities. But that's when we really look at these waves of possibility up close by being identical with them. What happens to these waves of possibility when you are not actualizing them every moment by doing? What happens is, uh, what what do waves do when left alone? Well, if you look at a water wave you create by throwing a pebble in the pond, the water wave will become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Every child knows that, every adult knows that. So what happens to these waves of possibility? If you allow them to grow, they will become bigger and bigger pools of possibility. For what? For you to choose from. You in your unconscious to choose from. So if you can choose from a bigger pool of possibility, why be limited to a small pool of conditioned possibility? Let them grow. Let them contain the new. And this is what creative people have intuitively grasped, and this is what creative people do. What happens after you do this dooby-dooby-doo for a while? What happens is absolutely astounding. A quantum leap takes place, and I mean it, quantum leap. What does it, uh, how does, how is it distinguished from an ordinary leap? In ordinary leap, you go through space and time. In quantum leap, you don't. From space and time, it seems discontinuous. But actually what you're doing, you've got going through the domain of potentiality. That's what gives us the sense of discontinuity. So what is creativity then? Creativity is an experience which is a discontinuous experience of an experience where a new idea of meaning and value comes to us. Okay, that's a long answer, but I hope it is a very satisfying answer. Okay, let me, before you continue, Ben, let me hold up Anybody who's looking at us on a computer has the jarring experience of seeing us here in the studio. And if you're listening on a computer, I will hold up the a copy of a Quantum Creativity, the new book. Ben, if you'd put that closer to the camera, thank you. 
Yeah, there you go. There's an easier way of doing it. Yes. Uh, and I can't beautiful. reach that far. Andy, you can get an idea of this. Uh, you know, every, every book I've read by this man is, is astounding. So, uh, Ben, did you have another question? I do indeed, but I was holding this book and didn't have time. <laughs> Thank you. To, to You're a man of many talents. I try. Many, I, many poten- I, I much hold, potentiality. I hold books and ask questions. Are are we trying or are we tying into parallel lives um, where we have talents like this, like Mozart writing his first concerto at four and other things like that? Yeah, so what, what what happened then? See, when you talk about Mozart, then another phenomenon comes in, which we have already touched on this show, which is reincarnation. Oh, so, I was just going to ask you about that. You must be psychic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you even tweeted. I was itching to talk about reincarnation. <laughs> <laughs> so, you see, if, if, if I already spoken of non-local memory. So if memory can be non-local, namely memory can be stored, only in part in the brain and partly in the non-local domain, domain of potentiality, then what makes us think that this memory only can be accessed during our life? Why can't it be accessed after our death in a future time by some other person and accessed in such fullness that that person practically is a continuation of my character, not my day-to-day melodramatic stuff. That's just things that I do, they're not important. The things that really travel with to the next incarnation after my death is what we call my character. This is why we should have honor to protect the sanctity of my character, the individuality that I have developed in this life. We should be proud of it and we should protect it, we should cherish it, we should honor it because this is the character that travels with us to the next incarnation when we die. Well, this this is one of the, the issues that has sometimes com- comes up on this show about reincarnation. Given the notion, as I understand it, that, um, and start, starting with Einstein and moving on through you fellows, that time, as we understand it, does not objectively exist. It's simply a function of our consciousness. How can there be past lives as opposed to parallel lives. Yeah, so, so you see, that's the thing. Time, Einstein showed, is relative. So in the absolute reality, which is the reality in which consciousness is one and only, there is no time. Past, present, future, all coexist simultaneously. This is the key thing to understand and accept. So Einstein's work was indirectly very helpful to understand quantum physics, because quantum physics says there are two domains of reality. The manifest domain, the space-time domain, Einstein's theory holds, relative time holds. But in the non-local domain, the absolute domain, there is no time. Einstein's relativity doesn't hold there. And therefore, that's the domain through which all these phenomena that heretofore we have called paranormal, right, reincarnation. You know, you asked about Mozart. How does Mozart become so great a virtuoso at such a small age? Because he got his character from past lives. Many past lives, gradually he developed this extremely wonderful musical character, and that character then got its full amount of versatility in this particular life that we call Mozart. In the future, there will be another uh, incarnation of Mozart that may not bring this music virtuoso, but in the meantime, he might have developed other characteristics of his character. 
other features of his character, and those are the things that will manifest in the future. So we are like that. At a deeper level, we are not this particular persona of this life. We are a character, I call it a quantum monad, who is traveling for many eons in many lives, many places, and many times with continually developing character. But but if there is no future or no past, objectively speaking, if all things are conterminous, if all things are simultaneous, that perhaps it's the inadequacies of our language. L- l- let me put it this way. No, 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 not inadequacies of the language. You just made the same mistake that we all make from the other side. So just like in the non-local domain, we cannot talk about past, present, and future. But in the local domain, in the space-time domain, we can talk about it. Oh, okay. Okay? That's the solution of the problem. All right. (laughs) This this might interest you. I've made it a point to speak over many years with regression therapists, people who will hypnotize people and send them through past lives and try to resolve problems that exist now, etc., etc. And I often ask them, I always ask them, have you encountered subjects who will describe a life in a world you don't recognize, or a time that is not in the past, a time that might be what, it, what to us would be the future. And I, I almost always get an affirmative answer. People will say, funny, you should ask. Just last week, someone said it was the year 22-something, or they gave me some sort of date that didn't, didn't recognize some combination of numbers, you know, things that were really almost alien. And that, to me, indicated that perhaps we're dealing with these parallel lives in, in a full spectrum of, of simultaneity, that, that sort of thing. But, but for whatever that's worth, that's, that's my experience. <clears throat> we're having... These are, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, um, these are uh, what is called precognitive kind of reincarnational memory. Uh, reincarnational memory is... is, is most important part of that is this character that I was talking about, patterns of habit that I have developed that is very helpful for uh, developing, developing a particular creative genius. But there is uh, also the content memory that, is, that can also, uh, taking advantage of this non-local domain, uh, come to us from any of our past incarnations to this incarnation. And this one does not have uh, a direction of time. This one can come from the past and also from the future. Therefore, when somebody is talking about content from the future, don't be too surprised. It's just another, another example of a precognitive experience. Interesting. Uh, people have precognitive experiences without this reincarnational feature in it. Uh, it's just the same type of thing with a reincarnational feature additionally. Okay, people have recorded a dream in this life, in other words, you know, many, many records of evidence of that, like most, one of the most famous ones is that somebody precognitively recognized that uh, Robert Kennedy is going to be assassinated. Uh, this is documented, so that's a famous case. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is in this life. Now, these people are just uh, precognizing their future life in a future century. So that is the astounding part of it, but it certainly is completely compatible with the science that we are building. Okay. All right. Now, this notion, I'll go back to this notion of the individual as an island. How do you get through to the Western mind, which is very much scientific materialism? Everything is, everybody is self-contained and totally local. Um, I don't know. I think in order to 
understand many of the ways that we think and the ways that we live in Western society, you have to really uh, not be aware of everything you've described tonight. How do you get through to the Western mind with these ideas? Well, see, that's the thing. The ego can be thought of as an individual other. Because this ego, if we, we get rid of all this acknowledgement of connections with others because we are not acknowledging in the, in the very limited case of complete conditioned ego. An individual who just will not be creative, made of how on lack of creativity, will live the same life of conditioning from the past. For them, you know, in, in Buddhism there is a name for it, clinging ego, ego that clings to the past, hmm. will not listen to anything that suggests to change the ego for any reason. Creativity, spirituality, all these things don't matter to them. So in, the, in that case, when the ego becomes so limited, it is kind of individual. But my, my question to them is this. You are an individual. Okay, you have opinions. Where do you think these opinions came from? Is it, are these opinions your own opinions? And they get startled. Well, let me think. No, they came from other places. Like some opinion is based on the Bible, some opinion is based on Fox News, some opinion is based on this, 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 what my teacher told me, what my parents told me. I don't have a single original opinion. Oh, my <laughs> God. They get a shock. And I say, okay, see, this is what being a rugged individual of your sort and island, this is what it means. So don't cling to it. Find at least one opinion that you can tell others that this is my opinion. I discovered it creatively, myself, Mua, and then develop it, and then you'll be a person. You will be an individual. That's the true definition of individual. What you are is an extension of other people. You are a follower. Hmm. You got the gist? Yes, yes. And before we burn up the hour, finish burning up the hour, please tell us again about... Uh, your latest book, any, all your books, your website, and where people can find out more about you. Well, the latest book is Quantum Creativity, and it has a subtitle, Think Quantum, Be Creative. Right. One, thinking quantum is just thinking in this two-domain reality, using your both unconscious, the domain of potentiality, and conscious. Ordinary thinking, which people do a lot, but doesn't get you anywhere because it's just one level thinking, like computers. Computers have to be directed. Then you need direction of other people. Then only you can act. With creativity, you can act on your own. That is the way to become individual. Think quantum, be creative. Quantum creativity is the name of this book. You can reach me on the website, amitgoswami.org, A-M-I-T-G-O-S-W-A-M-I dot O-R-G. It has an email address. If you write to me, I certainly will answer. Very good. Ben, do you have another question? Because I have about three hundred more in the next ten minutes. Uh, let me let me let me articulate it. A articulate, more. okay. Yeah. yeah, Doctor, what is the dark side of this? There, there, everything sort of has a dark side in the sense that uh, is is there, are there spiritual dangers with either understanding or misunderstanding this approach to the individual or to, or to to creativity? What are the moral implications? Uh, for example. In other words, th those who espouse the multiverse idea in its fullest sense might say, well, okay, I shot the store clerk here, but I didn't in a million other worlds, so maybe I'm, you know, all that sort of, it, it can really go crazy. Are there, what are the moral implications of well, everything we've discussed? Start, 
if you start believing in multiple universes, not just the four universes that are beyond our experience, then, of course, you know, um, that would give you too much of flexibility in your theory, and it's no longer very useful. Um, it is what we call a non-parsimonious theory. We have a principle in science which is called parsimony. Einstein laid it out that it cannot be too parsimonious because you cannot be simpler than what reality is. Um, so we have to remember that. So too parsimonious, limited. Too much lack of parsimony, again, limited. So this is a very um, uh, important part of science. I think the new science uh, follows the middle path and therefore is quite okay to pursue. This kind of dark side does not exist. There is, of course, possibility of a dark side in the science that since consciousness-based science includes everything, therefore you can say that, well, okay, so there is all kinds of non-ethical bad stuff that people do. Are they included in this theory? And I have to say that, yes, they are included. So you say, well, that's a good God. Why does this God chooses bad stuff for people? Because you know, we are saying con choice, true choice, creative choice takes place in the non-local domain of consciousness. We are saying that. We are explicitly saying that. If that is true, then how do these bad things happen to people? You cannot always say that they, they happen because you are conditioned. We can always say that because some of them are pretty creative too. So how come? And the answer to that is that it, the objective principle on the basis of which consciousness chooses is evolution. Ultimately, in the long-term evolution, consciousness looks for a development of the world in the direction where more love, more beauty, more truth, more justice, more good, more goodness, more abundance will be the going thing in the manifest reality. So, so consciousness evolves in such a way that in the long run, it becomes more and more wonderful world to live. But in the short run, sometimes we need upheaval. We need chaos in order to create the long-term good. So sometimes in the short run, things that appear to be evil to us do happen, but they are not evil, evil per se. They are only able to create that upheaval. We have evidence from geological times that upheavals have always preceded a major epoch where tremendous evolution has taken place. So it is similar to that kind of upheaval. People who do creativity, they also know that creativity requires sometimes times of chaos, so a paradigm shift. And in those times, uh, some things appear good, but other things happen which appear not so good. Like, for example, scientific materialism, from my point of view, is an evil. It, has, mm. it is destroying our society in some sense. Our kids are becoming hyperactive, uh, have attention deficit disorder. But on the other side of it is that there must be a purpose to this. And look what scientific materialism did. That's a reaction to scientific materialism to a large extent. You are hearing uh, ideas of your story, which is about non-locality, how to free yourself from... Uh, the shackles of the scientific materialism. So, in a way, quantum physics developed out of the reaction that we have to a limited philosophy like scientific materialism, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
the, going back to consciousness, and you mentioned that eventually our consciousness will evolve to a point where there's more love, more understanding, all, all that stuff. Now, playing devil's advocate here, one could say that human nature would play a factor in this. And I know we don't have much time left, and I'm probably introducing a whole rabbit hole of conversation, but I figured I might throw it out there anyway. So how does human nature come into play with this whole idea of an evolving consciousness? Now, I'm glad you asked this question. This is the million-dollar question. So how about human nature? Yes, human nature certainly has many negative characteristics. We now know that they are due to negative emotional brain circuits. There is this knots in the brain, neural and knots, along with knots of neurochemicals that we get in the limbic brain. They give us this negative emotion. And when we are in throes of the negative emotion, we sure are negative. We cannot help. We become violent. We become angry. We become greedy. We become uh, jealous. We become envious. So what to do about them? Well, creativity enables us to listen to our intuition of these archetypes, love, beauty, justice, etc. And creativity also enables us to make brain circuits which can compensate, which can balance this negative emotion. I call them positive emotional brain circuits. Can you make a love circuit in your brain? You sure can. You know, this is how these people, Jesus, Buddha, and all these spiritual people, this is how they live. So in their presence, there were no violence because they had this balance so perfected that people, other people, non-locally, uh, got their non-violence and became non-violent. So in that way, you can understand that, yes, the negative emotional brain circuits can be controlled, can be transcended, and people eventually become good. And the best part of it, best part of it, is that Rupert Sheldrake, and uh, following him, I have theorized that you can not only develop your own positive emotional brain circuit to balance your negativity, but if you do it in a certain non-local way, along with the community, then what you do in this life will be, in a sense, reincarnated into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Eventually, in a matter of six or seven generations, all human beings might inherit the circuit that you develop today. Well, we can always... I'm afraid we're flat out of time. Dr. Goswami, it's been an honor to have you. I hope you will return because I have a few thousand other questions for you. I hope we can continue <laughs> our conversation on a show very soon. Oh, this was very good. Thank you. Yes, of course. Well, thank, thank you thank so you. much. Okay, Ben, take it away. Alrighty, so on Saturday, April 26th, my dad and I will be uh, speaking about pol poltergeists and my dad's experience with them. And uh, this will be at the New England Parafest at the Crown Plaza in Nashua, New Hampshire, where some people uh, might not like the stuff that we have to say. And there's lots of other guests there and, that are going to be speaking uh, with us, including Lauren Coleman, uh, Tom D'Agostino, and all these other people. We'll be uh, raffling off two tickets to this event on our April 7th show. And that is a $90 value uh, right there. And you can find out more at EssexCountyGhostProject.org. You can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 550 free podcasts from both ON 1240 and four and a half years on CBS Radio. And don't forget NewEnglandGhosts.com. And that is where you can find studies and photos along with articles by my dad. Okay, well, I guess uh, next Monday, March 16th, right here on ON 1240, 
And OwenWorldwide.com will welcome author Jan- Joanne DiMaggio, and we'll find out all about soul writing. Can't wait to find out what that is. And I guess we're done, folks. Uh, thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.